Hi, I'm Marcus Acco, uh, the host of Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM and my own YouTube channel, The Idiot on the Writer's Block. And you're listening to the Us People podcast with Savio Rocks. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of the Yes People podcast. I'm your host, Savio Rox, and today I'm humbled to have Marcus here with me, who is an actor, CEO, film buff, director, podcaster, hey, hey. producer, <laughs> a radio host, writer, and YouTuber. I've never said so many titles so quickly. <laughs> Marcus, <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the Yes People podcast, and Thank, thank you very much for having me on. I was just going to say that by the time you finish saying the list of titles, I probably would have added two more titles to it. I yeah, really wouldn't mind. No, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> for, for tonight, I'll, I'll pause. I won't add any more titles to the long list that you already have. No, that's fine. <laughs> and for the share fact, you've already told me which one is your strongest point. Um. It's also good as well because it resonates who you are and it kind of shows in a very, very good way. Oh, thank you. you Thank you very much. Uh, Yeah. So if do you want me to say what that one is? Because people weren't listening just before the show, just in case if they're thinking, "Mm, I I wonder what it is. No, you know what? No, no, no. Let's let's let them guess. Okay. And then at the end of the show, (laughs) I'll say, I'll say, Marcus, which one is your strongest one? And let's see if people actually got it. Sure, Does we'll see. Sound cool? Yeah, that's good. All right, Sorry, that's cool. abs- absolutely fine with me. Okay. You ready for question one? Go for it. Let's go. Question one. Let's see. Let's, I've, let's revi- go. I've, revised, I've revised for this. Actually, I have not revised for this. You did not send, send me any other questions <laughs> yep. beforehand. So I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm just going to say, uh, question one is B. Is it B? I, it B? I'll, let, no? I'll let you talk. I'll okay. let you go. <laughs> so question one. it's my it's actually one of my favorite questions that's why it is obviously question one and that it tells me so much about you as a person and my question is could you tell me about your background where you grew up and how that influenced you to be the person who you are today that's a very good question um okay so my background where i grew up long since i'll try and be very concise so i was born and raised in nigeria um small 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 country small unknown country called nigeria in uh, west africa um i was raised there till i was about 15 uh, my mother is half english half italian my my father is nigerian wow. uh, in about 1996 we moved over from uh, nigeria to the uk just before we moved um you sort of that was the early part of my upbringing where I was trying to figure out what it is I wanted to do in life. Um, uh, I am the youngest of four kids, and all of the kids all seem to have, uh, well, the other kids seem to have an idea as exactly what they wanted to do. My sister was going to do chemistry, and she was like, I'm going to do chemistry, then I'm going to go become a, a mother and raise my family, and then Karen do whatever I want to do after that. My brother after that was a businessman. He was like, nope, that's what he wants to do. He wants business. My brother just after that was, uh, he was like straight away from the very beginning, he was a doctor. He wanted to be a doctor. So for me, it kind of cycled through different career paths. At first I was like, okay, I want to become a priest because that's really what I want to do. We're Catholics. So I was like, I'm going to be a priest. That's exactly what I want to be. I want to be a priest. You'd then be a I hit priest. 
probably right and that kind of leads into in answer to your question uh, as in how it then shaped me to be what I am now so I wanted to be a priest because I saw the priests that I really enjoyed uh, their sermons were very vibrant and they would stand in front of the congregation and and give such passionate speeches and and sermons and and preach to the audience right so I really really enjoyed that I was like that's what I want to be then puberty hit and I was like there is no way I'm being celibate so I decided no I'm not going to become a priest um i'll do something else right so i i I wanted to become a soldier i was like you know soldiers are good you get into action and they go and do save people and wait hold on a second they get shot at um maybe not so much so i'm going to pull back from that so i changed i didn't want to be a a soldier then i was trying it just kept on cycling through different career paths and then while i was doing that at the same time um yeah back at school there was this comedy group that had just formed, some of my friends had formed a comedy group and they were going around performing at different events and they needed a straight man, if you will. So in the, in the sort of, in comedy sketches, you have the person who's the comedian, who's the comedic, comic, comedic act. And then you have the, the play against the straight man, the person who's, you know, who's supposed to be the normal person in the situation. So they needed that guy to perform in front of a uh, governor's, uh, governor's party. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'll, I'll join in, I'll do it. And I stepped in and I really, really enjoyed it. So I was like, okay, let's carry on doing this. So we kept on doing this over and over again. And I started doing more sketches with them. It, we then went and represented our state in different places. And then I left the country as we um, emigrated to the UK. And uh, leaving that environment, I, I just, I thought that this is, this is weird. That was the, that was the one thing that I really, really enjoyed. And, you know, uh, it's now I've left it. So, okay, let's go back to the job hunt, figure out what it is you want to, what I want to do. I went, then went to Wimbledon college and then I was trying to, I was trying to find in myself something I was good at. And then I watched this, this was back in 1997. And I remember this day oh. clearly. I watched an episode of a show called Moesha, which is uh brand yeah. new Norwood. And the first thing that struck me was, hold on a second, you're a singer. Brandy Norwood was a singer, right? So, but she's acting. And I'm like, why is she acting? And sort of like the penny dropped. I was like, hold on, acting is actually a profession. So you can actually do that as a career. And that's when it's sort of kind of like the Kaiser Soze moment in uh, Usual Suspects, where the coffee cup drops and he realizes the stories and everything else. I kind of pieced everything together that all of my career aspirations were all because I saw a part of the acting in it, right? So the, you know, the, the sermons, the preaching, the lectures, all that stuff. I saw that as things that were influencing me from TV and movies that I was watching. So I was like, that's it. I want to become an actor for, so from 1997, I decided that was the career I was going to be. I was going to become an actor. That's the first title on my list. Going through in the UK uh, around 1997, I'm trying. I had I had a Nigerian, a thick Nigerian accent at the time. I'm trying to get work, uh, but you know, auditions are hard for people with my skin complexion and my accent. Uh, and you know, to change my accent, I watched a lot of TV, uh, and my accent changed into this, which is not really an English accent per se. Uh, it's definitely not a South London accent, which is where I lived. And auditions were asking me for a South London accent, and this would come out, and they would be like which part of South London are you from? Because that we don't know that accent. Um, 
So I was like, you know what? Okay, fine. Don't give me your jobs. I'll write my own jobs. So I started writing my own sketches um, so I could perform in my own sketches. Then I had to give my sketches to people, my producers and directors to do. And they would say, oh, that's nice. I like this, but I want to change this and make this character do this instead. And, oh. this character do. and I'm like, um, can I, I'll, I'll take that back. I'll take it back. Um, I don't really want, uh, let, let me do it. Let me do it. So I went and I started producing and directing my own sketches. So now I'm an actor, writer, producer, director. Fast forward to get to university. I went to the Royal Holloway University, um, doing a lot of acting jobs with on the side, you know, writing sketches and so on and so forth. And I, while I studied psychology, I joined the drama society at the university and we performed plays. And that's when I realized that I want to do this. This is what I wanted to do. So I graduated and I tried writing uh, my first movie, my first feature length movie. And the way I wanted to do it, I wanted to do it as a theater production to make it easy for myself. So I wrote this production, got a lot of people together. And because I was pulling every single string, as in writer, director, producer, acting in it as well, and catering and hosting some of the people and so on and so forth, I almost had a nervous breakdown. It just, it, the project om, almost drove me to a nervous breakdown. And then I stopped. And at the same time, I was like, look, I need to get some advice from someone. This was in 2006. 2006, I was like, I need to get advice from somebody. And at the time, Kevin Spacey, the actor Kevin Spacey was the artistic director at Old Vic. So I figured, what the heck? I'll just send him an email and just say, maybe he can give me some advice. Now, he didn't respond to me, but one of his uh, secretaries, administrative assistants, called me in for an interview. I sat down, I gave my spiel, and they said, uh, okay, first of all, you're doing way too much. You need to scale back a bit which is the first which is the main thing that you really love if you scale all of that out which is the main thing that you love i said acting that's the number one so they're like okay we have this program that's going on at the moment called 24 hour plays which is for it's young vic is young vic or old vic new voices so it was, the, it was the second year they were doing it where they would basically get 30 actors i believe 10 writers 10 directors 10 producers all in a few workshops together and they would get them to perform some sketches on one night they would write the sketches produce it rehearse it everything would be done in 24 hours so they said i should go and audition for it so i was like okay cool about i can't remember about five thousand, maybe ten thousand people went and auditioned i became one of the 30 people that they selected as act as an actor for it. I went, I performed. It was one of the best, um, one of the best experiences of my life period. Oh, wow. well, okay. Well, I say one, I have to say one of the, I say, I have to say, I am going to say one of the best, uh, Obviously, my wedding day was a, was a great experience. Too. I hope and so. The my, <laughs> and the birth of our two kids was also great as well. It's, you know, it's up there. Uh, so it was, it was you know, one of those experiences. Um, but having done that, having been on that old Vic stage with those, the spotlight hitting me, I was like, this is where I need to be. And that solidified everything for me. And I was like, right, I've done the stage stuff. My true passion is film. I wanted to get into film. And that's basically where that started, right? So I decided, okay, the same sort of mentality. I went and did auditions, got a couple of roles, but nothing was really that good. So I started writing more scripts, started falling back into that old pattern, but I realized I can't do all of it again. However, I still kind of did. I ended up setting on my own production company, Eight Foot Ants. It was supposed to be with me and a bunch of other artistic people, but they sort of, we, you know, sort of came in and went. And so we decided, okay, maybe the idea of Eight Foot Ants would just be a collective of creatives so it's kind of like a revolving door various creatives will come in they'll work with me on different projects and then they'll go away so that way i'm not doing absolutely everything myself while i kind of still am doing most of the heavy lifting 
I'm not doing it by myself. And that's the thing I know about this community is that you need help in various aspects. So that's why all of them would come in and we do various projects together. So I started writing and directing and producing a lot of shorts. I did three shorts in particular. Uh, they're all on like Vimeo and YouTube and, and so on and so forth. You can follow on our page and you can find all the pages to the links to them and so on and so forth. Um, and yeah, so did those and then tried to graduate into feature films. And it all culminated until very recently where, oh, actually also not just wanting to park there because again, my mind is sporadic, right? It's all over the place. So uh, I got the opportunity and this was very, very random. I'll tell that story very quickly. Um, I was on a flight to uh, Thailand for the day job to do something. Oh, by the way, I also have a day job on top of all of this. So we won't talk about that part, but I was on a flight to Thailand oh, to go for my wow. day job and I... And I, <laughs> and I had, had happened to be sitting next to this lady I'd never met before, but we started talking and she asked me, oh, you know, what type of movie would you recommend? And I spent like half an hour going through the entire list of movies and saying, oh, you'd like this, you'd like this and so on and so forth. And then we ended up chatting on that, what, 12, how many hour flight it was because we were sitting right next to each other. And she said, oh, you know a lot about films. You might want to, you know, have you ever considered doing a radio show about films? I said, I said, I'd love to do a radio show. I don't know anybody in the radio industry. And she was like, well, I am a sound engineer at Resonance FM and we're looking for pre presenters. So if you're interested, I was like, you know what? Absolutely. So I got her details. Her name is Laura Sampson. And we've been doing the show um, Shoot the Breeze on Resonance FM for three years now along with producer Dave, who joined us along the way. And that has been another great experience because it gives me that opportunity to just rant and talk and just spend an hour a week just talking about movies when I'm not making them. It also helped me connect with a lot more creatives. So a lot more creatives are working with me on their projects, they were, and so on and so forth. And I was going to start, I was, was going to do my first feature film where I was going to be directing it again, tempted to become an actor in it and producing it, but I trying to help myself back, but it was still going. It was going to be a small um, independent uh, uh, psychological thriller called pull out couch. We had everything set up and the plan was 2020 March. I was going to take it to Cannes, get my investors, come back to the UK, shoot that movie and release it. And what do you know what happened? COVID happened, right? So that got shelved. And oh, so I, I think I, I think I may have skipped past it because I think your question said your background. So I think I fast forwarded through my background and I come to the present. So maybe I'll pause there and I will let you move on to question two. No, carry on. <laughs> I like it. I, to I told you, I told you I spent ages answering one question. Okay, so um, anyway, so COVID happened, film projects paused. Um, and I, I was going out of my mind because there's no creative outlet to produce those films. And then I was watching uh, YouTube as everybody is doing, just saying, look, I, I need to try and figure out something. And uh, writing books came into, into mind. I was like, okay, I've always thought about writing books. I've written scripts. And because I wanted to go in that direction, it's always been scripts and screenplays. But books has always been like, yeah, that's for when I get it, when I'm getting older. But since I can't do anything now because of lockdown, I figured I might as well get into writing books. But then I realized I actually don't know how to write a novel. It's a completely different muscle to write a, a novel than it is to write a script. And I've been spending the near part of a decade, maybe a decade and a half, even more than that, actually writing, learning how to write scripts. But a novel is completely different. So I went onto YouTube 
and I started researching on YouTube and I found this one channel called I Writely and it's hosted by this fantastic author called uh, Meg Latour. And she is an author, she's author tuber as they call it. And she gave me the inspiration to basically start my own YouTube channel. So I started my own YouTube channel with the premise of me being an idiot. And I, I, I classify myself as being an idiot because I am, um, uh, I mean, if you, if you listen to me for five minutes, you're like, oh, yes, he is an idiot. We, we, we get it. He's an idiot. Um, so I figured, you know what? As an idiot, I'm going to be asking experts for tips on how I can write my own novel. So that's why the YouTube channel came up, The Idiot on the Writer's Block, where I, the idiot, ask experts for tips on how to write, pr- uh, publish, and promote my first speech, uh, my first fiction novel. So I took one of my screenplays called Atticus the Mighty, which I was hoping Idris Elba was going to be the lead in it. So if he's listening to it, I've, the book is almost done. So you can read it and you can decide you want to do it. Um, I, I'll, I'll remind me to come back to just Winston Ellis. Remind me to come back to Winston Ellis. I'll come back to it in just a second. Um, so I converted that story into a book and I'm now turning that book into my first fiction novel. And it is essentially an upper middle grade um, contemporary fantasy with great emphasis on adventure. That's what it is. So that, in a very concise manner, is how I came from being born in Nigeria to being here, having this conversation with you, Savio Rocks. Wow. I don't know how you... (laughs) I don't know, yeah. You're like, okay, question two. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Do Do you know the funny thing is, Marcus, I actually really do like listening to people. Somebody okay. can talk forever and I'll I'll be happily I'll happily just chill and listen. Yeah, but uh, I I know I and I understand because this is your show and this is I, I, like we said just before the um before we came on this is my second uh opportunity or second situation where I'm being interviewed. I've been doing a radio show for 3 years. Uh, it's a radio show and a podcast. I've been doing it for 3 years and I'm always the one interviewing people. And this is the second time, and it's only happened in a week that I have actually been the interviewee. So while I have the skills of interviewing people, I don't have the skill of being an interviewee. So I don't know. I'm That's just gonna always keep the case. See that? Okay, this is the thing, right? A lot yep. of people say, "Can I interview you, Savia?" I say yes, but then sometimes they back out, and the reason is, you know, don't. <laughs> If they just understood that I am such a humble person and a calm person and you can throw literally any question at me and I wouldn't mind. Everyone mm-hmm. says your questions are really hard that you throw at people and I feel that I need to compete with the questions that you throw back at you. But I was like, you can, but they're your questions. So it gets a little bit tricky because as a host, and I'm sure you'll understand this, as a host, people have this perception of you from hearing your voice and then when they see you they have another perception and Mm -hmm. then when you're interviewing them they have another perception and then when they want to interview you that's when they get scared of course of course so it's kind of but i love the fact i love if anybody would like to interview me i'd be very happy maybe i'll come on your show one day marcus i I would I, i would absolutely be happy to sort it out where you can come on the show i mean we're still doing the show we're doing it over zoom so absolutely, when we finish this, I've got your number now and you're going to regret the fact that I've got your number because I'm going to be texting <laughs> you constantly. So we're going to organize for us to get this done. You're going to be coming on to my show. Bring your film knowledge. We'll just chat about films for the okay. entire hour. It'll be me 
producer Dave, maybe Laura Sampson and you just talking films for a whole hour. That sounds good to me. Excellent. Yeah, I'm not a film buff like you, by the way. And I'm sure you guys are going to teach me so much about films. Hey, that's, and that's the thing. It, you don't have to be a film buff as long as you like film and you like television, you know, and you're happy to talk about it. Absolutely. We have, a, we have one guest who comes on regularly. And she's, one of, she's one of my biggest, um, my favorite, fa- uh, favorite guests on the show. I, I will big her up every time I talk about her. Uh, she's, I call her the hardest working a production manager in the business. And now she's the hardest working head of production in the business, Ariana Ryan. She wow. hates talking about films. She doesn't <laughs> like, she's like, she's like, look, I don't know what films we could talk about. I'm like, but you come on the show and we'll talk. She's like, fine. And she'll come on the show and we'll talk about absolutely nonsense and just she'll inter- <laughs> interweave it. She works in the film industry and she hates talking about films. But yeah, she she's comes in like and she's, me in a way. Yeah, she's, she's a great fan. I'm a great I'm fan st- of hers. I'm a sound engineer, so for me, it's all about the sound of how everything sounds to me. It's really important. And me being a photographer as well is another thing. So images are really important to me. So I can talk about that all day. But when you say films, I'm like... Mm. Yeah. See, now, the fact that you mentioned sound means that Laura Sampson and uh, producer Dave will have a field day chatting to you about sound. And I'll be the one that will be listening on their show and be like, oh, wow, okay, so what about this? But what about this? And the, the photography side of things, I'll start asking you those questions. And that's you see, the fact that you've mentioned photography. I really want to ask you tons of questions about photography. But, but then but I'm I've written save those seven books as well. I've written seven books. Mm-hmm. Um. I haven't published them for a reason. Okay. But um, you know that same question where you said that, um, we've gone completely off to- topic, but I love it. <laughs> 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 hey, um, you know the topic where you just said, you said a sentence to me and you said, you didn't know how to write a novel. You said it's completely yes. different writing a script to writing a novel. And that's very true. Mm-hmm. That is no. epically true the emotion and the feelings that you have to put into a book will be completely different to what you're putting in a script because your creative imagination is flying when you're writing a script because you have images of what kind of people where you want them to be what places you want to go to i don't know if that's how you have it marcus but that's how my mind kind of flies within photography it's all over the place no, absolutely. And you're, you're right, because writing a screenplay, because uh, as you said, you you visualize things. Uh, this is how I see the room. This is how I see the actors. Yes. Then that person will turn to that person. Then that person will turn to that person. And also the the logistics of writing a screenplay is, a, is, is, is very locked down. It's the fact that you don't put much flowery description in your description. You're just basically saying, he walked to the room. If anything, the less you write in the description section, the better. The better, because it's because you're just saying, look, just get to the action. Show, show, don't tell. Show, don't tell. When you get to a novel, on the other hand, that's completely different because with a novel, you're in the you're in the reader's head. You're creating a sensory experience for the person to be there. So, if anything, spending far more time describing something with the alliteration, that's much better. And that works better than when you're writing a screenplay, which is why I definitely needed help with that. Hence the reason why I went onto the YouTube channel. That makes sense. That definitely makes sense to me. So I'm going to move on to question two. See, that was just question one, guys. Can you believe that? that? 26 minutes on question one. Wow. Wow. Okay. All right. right. I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I will be concise with question two. You sure? I, I promise. You don't even know what question two is yet, Marcus. I don't know what it is, but I, I will do my best to be concise. 
<laughs> okay, so I'm going to flip over from one topic to another topic. Are you ready? Okay. Okay. I'm ready. Let's talk about human rights for a second. Okay. Okay. There's so much going on in the world and I love to throw different topics towards different people who do different things. Mm -hmm. So this question is, how do you feel about human rights? Where, with everything that's going on in the world at the moment, how do you feel that you can use your talent to make a difference in the world, to make human rights stand out and to make people understand what human rights is and how they should really be treated? Okay. It's very good question. Very, very good question. Um, I'm going to be concise, but I'm going to be to the point. With human rights, you you argue every everyone argues something different because it's easy to say, well, everybody has to have human rights. But then you discuss what is human rights. When you boil it down, you you can look at the the high level perspective of what human rights would be. Don't uh, don't make people suffer. Let you know uh, um, sort of. You talk about torture, you talk about uh, immigration, you talk about healthcare, you talk about uh, various aspects of, you know, dealing with people. Now, your question is to me, how can I use my talents to be able to, to sort of support people having human rights? For me, because I have, I have a few channels, you know, public channels like radio show and the YouTube channel. I wanted to. I, I want to be as inclusive. I want to be so inclusive, and in, in, in everybody can feel comfortable to be in the same room and have a conversation with me. I don't judge people on their beliefs, on their well. I ask, okay, let me let me rephrase, because obviously everybody judges everyone on however they feel, right? On their principles, their values, etc. I do my best. That's how I, I'll put it. I will do my best to not judge anybody on their principles. I will always give them the opportunity to explain themselves and I can put my point across. And I will always have a conversation with anybody, even if it's just taking out there, even if it's a racist, even if a racist were to have was want to sit down with me, I would love to sit down and have a conversation with a racist. The I've reason why a few is, times. there you go. And that's the thing, because the way I look at it is, and this is where it gets a little bit wishy-washy, where all you need to solve problems is understanding. Let me let me explain why. I know and I, I know it, this is the thing because I'm trying to be concise and dealing with something like human rights, which is a very massive topic. But I'm going to just chuck it at it anyway. Anyway, um, there was a there was a an interview I watched a very long time ago, and I think it was a CIA operative. I'm, I may be butchering the story. Those people who know what I'm talking about, please message into Savia and just say this is what he was actually talking about. It was a CIA or ex CIA operative who was being given an interview, and she was saying. Whenever we look at people in Middle Eastern countries and, you know, in organizations like Al-Qaeda and the Taliban, et cetera, we, as in by we, Western society, imagine these people as being demons and evil and criminal and whatnot. However, she spent time with these people. And when these people uh, talk to them about the type of movie, they love movies. They love movies. And one of their favorite movies is Star Wars, the Star Wars franchise. And the reason why they love the Star Wars franchise is because... The heroes of the Star Wars, Star Wars, um, the Star Wars franchise are actually terrorists. Because if you look at it this way, Luke Skywalker joins the rebellion. What is the rebellion? They're people who are fighting against the actual government structure, right? Yes, with the way we look at it, 
the Death Star and Darth Vader and all of them, they are they, they are evil oppressors, but they are actually the government. And you have the rebellion who are these terrorists, for lack of a better word, who actually bring down, we all cheer, everybody cheers when the Death Star gets blown up. And that's what, and she, that's what she, was, she was saying. And that's the thing. If you actually were to sit down and try to understand where they're coming from, I know that sounds very, that sounds highly inflammable to say that, or uh, highly insensitive to say that, that, you know, especially when uh, in the aftermath of a terrorist attack, for example, people would say, how dare you tell me to understand where a terrorist is coming from? Put that for to one side. I know it's difficult, especially people who have lost family, they've lost yeah. loved ones in terrorist attacks. But if you can, just for a second, try and imagine what would cause somebody to think of putting a bomb on themselves and walking into public and killing themselves. What could make somebody do that? You could say it's because they're crazy. Fair enough. Let's go deeper. What else is that? Is it? What else could there be? Well, maybe the reason why they're crazy is because circumstances have pushed them to a point where they can't take it anymore. They would rather die yeah. than to take that. And so you start to, when you start to understand that, you get to see, okay, maybe that's the, that's the reason why they would do something as horrible as that. When you start to understand, you start to understand how you can influence that particular situation. Let's break it down. Let's make it smaller, shall we? Let's make it smaller. Let's take immigration. <clears throat> There are a lot of people, especially with Brexit that happened, um, you know, you ask a lot of people, why, you know, what did you vote for? Some people will say, I voted for Brexit. Other people say, I voted against Brexit. And then immediately it becomes the loud voices just yelling. Nobody wants to actually sit down and say, calm down. Let's have a conversation as to why. Why do you think this is the best situation to go with? If you get one person to sit down without trying to judge them, that will make you understand them more. And if you understand them more, if you, you, one of two things will happen. If you actually want to listen to somebody talking to you, right? If you want to listen rather than just waiting for your turn to speak, you will actually get to understand where they're coming from. And you are more likely to either do one of two things, either still stick with your position because you'll say, I still do. I, look, I've listened to what you're saying. I understand where you're coming from, but I still disagree because I feel that this is the better option. In that situation, that person is going to have far more respect for you than they did before because they will say that, okay, at least you took the opportunity to take where they're coming from and because of your own situation, you're deciding that you're going to go against that. That's one, that's one path. The other path is you might turn around and say, you know what? I didn't actually think about that. Maybe you're right. Maybe if I do this, this would happen and life would be better for you. Life would be better for me and everyone gets to be happy. The problem with that is that is the ideal, right? It is the ideal that we all want to have. And you can have that conversation with one person. You have that one conversation with one person, that's great. If that one person is happy to, to convert, that's great. But then it, there's a mob mentality out there where basically that one person goes back to family, friends, an established you know, environment that would easily brain, I say brainwash them, reverse them or reverse what that conversation has, ha has had, you know, that conversation had, that effect that conversation has had and you will reverse and you start doing it again. I think that needs to be advocated more. So in concise answer to your question, it was a very large question. How can I work with human rights? 
the way I can do it is I will let my channels, all my channels be open to anybody who wants to have a conversation. I will happily sit down and have a conversation where I won't yell at you. I won't try and demean you. I will, I may put points across and say, well, hold on a second. I may argue with you. I may debate with you, but I'll be willing to sit down and listen. So that's, that's my contribution to uh, human rights, the way you put it. I like the way you actually broke that down. And I got that under 20 minutes. That's really good. (laughs) (laughs) I'm getting better. Still not good enough, but I'm getting better. No, you're getting good. You're getting good. So question three, okay? We're going to break down question three. So what is the best message you have ever learned from a movie that you have watched to help you change your outlook on life? Wow. Okay. Ooh, okay. Um, The best. It's difficult to say the best because I've watched a ton of movies. I've watched. You can say the most influential, Marcus. You can say like the most influential one. All right, so here, here's what I'll, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you the latest movie I watched and the lesson I learned from it, mm-hmm. and then I'm gonna go to the my favorite movie of all time okay. and the lesson I learned from that. That's how I do it. So the movie I watched most recently was a, a movie called uh, it was a British film called Await Further Instructions. Mm-hmm. It's a great taut horror film, and it's essentially the story is a family get together for a Christmas meal. Um, estranged son comes back with it comes home after three years with his girlfriend and it's it's a very toxic environment and they all get locked down because of a potential quarantine event not going any further than that i'm just going to focus on that so uh, and then in that quarantine event they are receiving messages through their television from the outside world saying you know you're being quarantined await further instructions, hence the title of the film. And they get instructions through that. Now, what I learned from that film was always question instructions that you're given. I tend to do that. I tend to do that naturally anyway, but I find I actually have more of a propensity to being to do what I'm being told. So any figure of authority says, Marcus, you need to go and do this. I'm like, oh, oh okay, I'll go and do that. But the older I get, the more I try to question that and that movie just reinforced that for me straight away. So much so that I found recent behavior has actually been that where I've been told by somebody, oh, this has happened and this has happened. And I've gone, nah, I'm going to do something else. It turned out that actually they were right and I was completely wrong. But still, I walked away from that saying, you know what? I, I don't care. I did what, in my opinion, I looked at it. I, I weighed up the situation and I questioned what I was being given. It what I was what I was being told was not concrete enough. I looked at it. I could not see enough evidence for me to go in that direction. I weighed up the evidence and I went in my own choice. So that was the most recent lesson I've learned from a film. Now, my favorite film of all time is Oh Brother, Where Art Thou by the Corn Brothers. Okay. And it is it, 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 I've watched that film good 250 times. No word of a lie. Now, there's moral of that oh, that moral of that story. Uh, the film is basically kind of a, a take on Homer's Odyssey, where three prisoners in the South in, in like 19 in the Depression era America are basically trying to cross they cross the state of Mississippi to get to uh, to buried treasure. 
and they go along they meet various characters from the odyssey like the like the you know the oracle and uh, these um uh, the oh not the one-eyed cyclops and so on and so forth uh, and they meet different characters and it's kind of like different anyway there's music and it's great and it's fantastic and what i gained from that film what that film for me mm-hmm. basically it, it's it lifts me up out of every bad whenever i have a bad mood whenever i'm feeling bad that movie will definitely uplift me and will take me out of that bad mood and what i learned from that is essentially it is it's it is about family it's about trust and it is about um how can i put this I've never really taken from that what I've learned from it. And it's very good that you asked me that question because I'm going to go back and after this interview, I'm going to be like, no, I learned this. And I'm going to be like, actually, no, I didn't learn anything from that movie. But what I took from that is when when you have a true calling, yes. do your best. Just what when when you can resonate when you when you go to sleep and you wake up and you feel that this is a true calling this is exactly what I am supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Do your best. Try and do that. So, being a writer, yes, yeah. When did you realize that a writer, being a writer, or words have power within content? When did you realize that words were so powerful in the world and the universe and how you, what you think and what you feel manifests in the world? When did you realize that within your craft of writing? That was in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, I was working on a film project. Uh, it was called Welcome to Purgatory. Okay. Um and it was the story was about these three people who got on a train, they died, and they woke up on a train and were in purgatory. And essentially, they were being escorted from uh, limbo purgatory uh, by their guardian angel, guardian Paul, who was taking two of them to heaven and one of them to hell. When they discover that hell, heaven has been destroyed, and also hell has been destroyed, and now everything is pouring into purgatory. So that was the script that was written. And that was going to be my first venture into feature films. Mm-hmm. And the, essentially, the fact that that, pro, that project itself took about five to maybe even close to 10 years of my, my life to get done and to try and get to the point, we never ended up making the movie and it sort of fell apart in the end. But that was the point where I understood that when you write something, you put it on page, on the, on the page. If you if you write it and put it in your in your drawer, it means nothing. And that's the essential part. If you write something and you put it away and nobody sees it, never sees the light of day, it means nothing. It's, it's words spoken in an empty room. The moment you take that page out and you put it out into the world and other people are there to read it, the moment another person reads it, you impact their life. Because even if it's something as simple as they read it and they say, this is rubbish and they throw it away, you still have an impact. It might be a very, very small, minuscule impact, but it will have an impact on them. In fact, I found after that, when I read other scripts, I read scripts that I, when I, when I read the words on the page, I think this is amazing. I am a, if you were to grade me as a writer, I am D minus at best. And then there will be other scripts I'd read and I'd be like, 
this really is what is being produced right now. Okay, forget that D minus. I'm moving myself up to a B minus. I never go. I've I, no matter what. I would never. I'm. I'm not any higher than a B minus on my best day of writing. Um, and even that is way too high for me. Um, Why do you say that, that though? It's it's because it, again, it's because I've read other people's work and I've seen people who have done the craft. I mean, you look at writers. I'll, I'll throw a number of names out there. You see people like um, uh, Courtier Newland, who's a British writer. Who you read his work, and I'm reading his latest book at the moment called A River Called Time. And boy, this is it is just mesmerizing the way he puts words together you have uh Irinosa Nokojie her work as well she's she's got a book a collection of short stories um Nudie Brunk is one of them a butterfly fish is another one you read those books and you see how she puts words together on a page and I'm just looking and I'm like I'm just gonna give up because there's no way I can be that good right and you then, can't say that I mean, though you can't no, say that Marcus I know. I know I understand and that let me this is the next point because then next I read something like um, Fifty Shades of Grey, and I say, "Well, hold on a second. <laughs> let's let's back up now. Uh, if, <laughs> not, if if Fifty Shades of Grey is a book that goes out there and makes millions, close to billions, then I got a shot. Okay, I can get out there. And I can. I've got creativity that can do that. So that's the reason why I'm at the end of the day. There's a there's an element of me always keeping myself humble. I'm like you. I like to keep myself humble because at the end of the day. The moment I start to say I'm an A star rate, you know, writer, that's it. Just forget it. Put me aside. I'm done. Um, but I'm not there. I'm I'm I ve I barely peak at B minus, and so that's the reason why I feel words have such a profound impact. But they can only have an impact once you let them out into the world. So those of you who are writing yourself, you mentioned that you've written about seven novels and you've put them in the drawer. Don't take them out, even if you think it's rubbish. Put it out there. Here's why. Um, and this is something that I've learned recently because of doing the YouTube channel. Um, I've come to accept that for me to progress in life and for me to keep advancing, things, doing one project and sticking with that and spending all that time to do that one project and letting it out, once you let it go, it's like, what's next? It's out in the world. What's yeah. next? What are you going to do? Are you just going to sit there? No, you're probably going to move on to the next project. Every single person that has worked on a project, they always have that ambition to move to the next project. So that's the same thing with writing. You can spend decades writing your first novel. You say, I want to get this perfect, right? You get it perfect. You let it out there. Somebody's going to, first of all, one person's going to come and say, this isn't perfect. This is Fifty Shades of Grey. Secondly, after you've done that project, what's going to happen? Are you going to stop writing or are you going to spend another 30 years to do another project? So what I've come to learn and what I've come to accept is I have to be comfortable putting something that I can say is not perfect out into the world True. because I will learn when I put that out in the world and somebody says, this isn't perfect. I'll, as the idiot, I'll learn. I'll say, oh, okay, tell me why it's not perfect. Good. Next project, I'm not going to make that mistake. I'm not going to make that mistake. I won't make that mistake. At least I'm now moving on to the next project. So just like I said, um, three, six, no, I say five months ago, I decided to start doing writing novels. I've already got one novel that has done. Um, while that's done, uh, and I, I haven't finished it yet, I finished the first draft. I'm letting it settle before I go and re-edit it and then carry on doing that. Um, at the same time, coincidentally, I got some. I, I was trying to work on a a graphic novel called Culver City Chronicles. 
and this was this has been in the works since 2012 and and this is this is exclusive for the show um i've got some artists since 2012 i lost my artists in 2012 there were a number of people who had tried to help me out i've still got them i've got them set aside i will i will get back to them and say look it's ready but i'm waiting for it to be ready but this month or this this year got some new artists who are now working on it and we're almost done so effectively in the next couple of months i'm going to have a an edited draft of my first feature, uh, fiction novel i'm going to have my uh, graphic novel first copy of my graphic novel done and at the same time i'm working on another project which i don't want to talk about just yet but it's my nanorimo project so i'm going to keep that until i get that done but that's coming up as well so i'd say probably between 6 to 9 months from now I'll actually have three books that I will be self-publishing to try and get out there. And that's the thing. Just if if you have a book in you that you want to write or you've got a script in you or you've got a movie in you or a poem, just do it. Because if you don't, it's just going to sit there and you're going to feel worse for it because you will always say, I've got this thing in me and I haven't done it. So just go out and do it. it so what if somebody says it's terrible? really literally so what if somebody says this is the worst piece of writing i've seen i'm going to be like okay why do you think it's the worst i'll try yeah. to understand what it is. if they tell me because of this 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 and this i'm like you know what i see your point my next novel will not have those and we'll see what happens and i'll learn and i'll do that so that's it i like that that makes sense to me Here's one for you that I think you would like. If you could choose three people to invite to a private project, which was fully funded, what one writer, okay. one producer, one director would you bring with you on that project? It could be anybody dead or alive. Who would it be? Ooh, you threw in dead. Oh my. Um, <clears throat> okay. Yeah. Okay. Writers, writers. Can I pick two people as the writers because they kind of go together? If they, if they're like it. intertwined, <clears throat> where you know, like they're a team, then that's fine. Yeah. Okay. So the Corn Brothers, right? Oh, it's, that makes sense. I love the Corn Brothers um, movies. Right? They're fantastic absolutely love their movies so i would put the coen brothers as writing the script for the for the movie that i would like to to be done the producer that i would want i would want oh hold on um shonda rhymes i would want shonda rhymes to be my producer and the showrunner for the let's make it a, t a TV series, right? We'll make it a TV series. So the Corn Brothers will write the TV series, and Shonda Rhimes will be the producer because that woman she puts she has look at Grey's Anatomy, um, Scandal, uh, uh, How to Get Away with Murder, all of these TV shows that have been running for. I mean, Grey's Anatomy is still running, great. And then um, Scandal only ended a few what maybe last year. Yeah. I think. Um, how to how to get away with murder still has going. probably just ended yeah exactly yeah. and she's just she keeps on going and going so she'd be the producer that i'd get the director that i would get now that bounces from different directors obviously each year it's a different director that will pop into my head and for me 
right now, my favorite director is Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi, who directed um, uh, Thor Ragnarok. He directed um, Jojo Rabbit that just came out recently. He directed a film called Boy. He directed um, uh, The Wilder People or something along those lines. <clears throat> and he directed, I think he directed Eagle versus Shark. It's, he's a New Zealand director. He's, I love his work. He, he's, he appears in all of his films as well, and I think he's fantastic. So that's basically, and this is just off the top of my head. Obviously, when we finish this interview, I'm going to sit down and I'm like, why didn't I think of that person? Why didn't I think of that person? I'm going to get a I lot of messages, person? guys, from, from Marcus once we finish. Yeah. yeah exactly. I don't mind. So those, as, as, you've said, as, you've, as you put me on the spot, and I like the fact that you put me on the spot with that question because I do it all the time on my show. Um, but that would be what I do. I'd have my writers as the Corn Brothers. I'd have my producer as Shonda Rhimes, and I'd have Taika Waititi as my director. That sounds maybe good to James, me. Maybe James Gunn. Maybe James Gunn again, Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, but but you know more Taika Waititi. Taika Waititi. Okay, yeah. here's one. Yeah. What have you overcome yourself personally that you don't mind sharing? That has changed the way you think and feel and interact with people my ignorance that's it's my ignorance because it's the reason why i call myself the my wife asked me why she's like look i like the idea of the youtube channel that you're doing the idiot on the writer's block but why do you have to call yourself an idiot and i'm like the reason why is because i it's easy to be ashamed of not knowing something I have come to terms with the fact that I don't know a lot. I may sound like I know a lot. And to be honest, I probably do, but I don't feel like I do. And as such, I want to learn more. So I always want to learn about stuff. So the fact that I always, I accept that I don't know everything. I want to learn. I want to ask experts. I want to have conversation with people who know better than me. You know, the question that you asked about, um, about, you know, uh, human rights, I'm going to go and the next time I find somebody that I know uh, is deep in, you know, is sort of an advocate for human rights, I'm going to ask them those questions. I'll say, look, this question was asked to me and this was the idea I gave. Can, is there anything else you can help me with that can go with that? I will always ask those questions. So in answer to your question, what did I overcome? I overcame the reluctance to accept that I am ignorant because, because I've overcome that I will accept that I'm ignorant and I want to learn more and I'm happy to ask questions. I'll say, look, I'm sorry. I'm going to be really stupid. I'm the guy in the room who, when you're giving a speech and somebody says any questions, I'll put my hand up and I'll say, look, I'm really sorry. I think I'm going to ask this question. Everybody in here probably already knows the answer, but I just need to know the answer and I'll ask the question. And what I've found is as soon as I ask the question, either the person saying it or other people go, mm, that, that's actually a good question. Yeah. Because the, the whole point is whenever you're listening or you're learning and you don't understand something, there's that instinct in your head. It's like, no, 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 no. You're the one that doesn't know it. Everybody else here knows it. So you keep your mouth shut. I am like, no, if everybody else knows it and I don't know it, you know, I, that's fine. That's good for them. I want to ask this question anyway. And what I've found is if I'm thinking it, there's probably like four or five other people in the room thinking exactly. it. Exactly. don't want to ask. And that's the reason why I've gotten over my ignorance or I've gotten over my, um, my fear of my ignorance. And I'm like, look, I'm an idiot. Tell me. Tell me like you're talking to your five-year-old. Not that your five-year-old is an idiot. If it is, I'm sorry. But, <laughs> you know, talk to me that way and explain to me so I can go and be better. 
See, you've given me some good answers today. I must admit that. I try. (laughs) (laughs) I try. Okay, here's one for you that I think you might like also. What would you do differently if nobody was judging you at all? Ooh. What would I do differently if nobody was judging me at all? Because you know humans, as humans, we always have this preconception of judging people automatically and i remember you said something earlier on about us as humans and we judge people just by the way we look when we come in a room how we say something so if that term judging was not in the dictionary there was no word of it at all what would you do differently in the world for yourself hmm Okay, I was gonna say I'd sing, but that's not true. I don't care. I I would actually I I love doing karaoke. So, um, what would I do differently in the world if no one was judging? That's a very good question. I've actually got him on the spot. Wow, I feel. Yeah, you know what? Here's the here's the reason why you put me on the spot, because there are I I can't think of anything that I wouldn't do that I'd be afraid that people would judge me for. Um, because anything, if it's a conversation you want to have, I will, like I said, I will openly have a conversation with anybody about anything. If there's anything that I want to do, um, and I guess the only things that the only things I would say aren't whatever are probably crimes. So gambling, that's probably, but uh, even, even with gambling, I played the lottery. I used to play the lottery that kind of got a little bit bad and I had to stop. So there was that, um, but I have a very addictive personality when it comes to that kind of stuff. So I'll get hooked onto games and, you know, that kind of stuff. So that's probably what I would do. Um, so I guess that would probably be it. I would, if if nobody would judge me, I would spend the entire day doing a my radio show or talking to people on, about films and watching films. That's it. That's exactly what it is. If people didn't judge me. I would basically, and I guess now we're locked down in COVID, I would basically spend the entire day, the entire week, just sitting there watching one film after the other, after the other, after the other. I'd neglect, I'd neglect my kids. I'd neglect my wife, <laughs> who I'm, neg- I'm kind of neglecting right now. So that's why I'm on a time crunch. <laughs> it's, it would be, it would literally be a case of, I would just say, I just want to sit here and watch Coen Brothers movies, movies, uh, Coen Brothers movies, Taika Waititi, Marvel movies. I want to just dive in and watch all of those movies. That's what I would do. If no one would judge me, no judgment, that's what I'd do. I'd spend the entire day doing nothing productive but watching movies and TV shows. What are you most proud of that you stand for? What am I most proud of that I stand for? Um, Free speech. Now, let me say, let me explain what I mean by free speech. I don't mean free speech that, yeah, okay. I mean free speech that you should be able to say openly to in conversation what you really feel about a certain topic. Now, that means that if somebody has a topic or an idea or an opinion that I disagree with, I'm not going to enforce my own opinion on you. I, if you were to, if if you were to turn around to me and say something like I'm going to pick a topic and you go that's how I feel um, let me pick a random topic okay let me pick an innocuous topic right um, 
and I've said this recent number of times recently, the Black Panther movie, right? So Black Panther came out and <clears throat> it made a huge, it was hugely successful. And there were people online in other countries having conversation about, well, why is it that some that everyone's making such a big fuss about Black Panther? Now, people who've said, I've, I've never really met somebody that said that. I've always seen that online and you should never go and have an argument online. That's the one thing I'd say. Don't have arguments online. The reason why is you'll find yourself just shouting into the sea and whatever response that comes back is just an echo or at worst, some fish laughing at you because that's all it is. You'll have trolls who will be there who will give you responses just to annoy you. I want to have a conversation where free speech is, is somebody can say to me, look, I want to sit down with you and I want to have this conversation with you because I feel this way. I feel that the color of your skin means that you are less than me. Mm. I want somebody to be able to tell me that. The part where free speech becomes dangerous is when it influences policy. Because if you were to say that to my bank manager, and then the next time I go for a loan, my bank manager says, you know what? This person has said that your skin color is less is uh, means that you are less of a person or some more substandard. And in that case, I'm not going to give you a loan. That is difficult. That is different. That is when it's actually impacting my life in that regards. But if it's a conversation, because that conversation is expressing an opinion that will probably affect their behavior of how they act to people with the color of my skin. I want free speech to happen. The reason I want free speech to happen, even if it's free speech I disagree with, or even if it's speech I disagree with, it still needs to happen because that's the only way you're going to be able to find out how somebody truly feels. And again, back to my comment about no judgment, you have that conversation of why do you feel that way? What have you experienced that makes you feel that way? Is it because of what you're seeing on TV? Is it because you've actually had that experience? Is it because somebody has told you that? Is it because you're, you're, you've lost a job and you found out that your job was given to somebody who looks like me? That's why it makes you feel that way? If, if it was somebody else who looked more like you that took your job, would you still feel that way about people that look like that? I'd ask those questions and I'd try to get that understanding because at the end of the day, even if I can't change that person's mind, I understand them. Hopefully they understand where I'm coming from because they can see, look, the way they're impacting, the way they're acting, the way they believe is impacting somebody else like me. Now, coming on to that race, racism subject on one bit, I'm mixed race. So my mother's, I've mentioned this before, my mother's half English, half Italian. My dad's Nigerian. So I'm mixed race. My co The color of my skin, I, I don't know if, if anyone can see me, it's more caramel than anything else, right? Now, what that affords me is I travel, where, when I travel, and I've tra I travel quite a lot, I go to different countries. And whenever I go to different countries, I always get a puzzled look. And that puzzle, and I'll explain what I mean. So that puzzled look, it's always them, in the back of the mind, just thinking, what is he? Um, so a couple of experiences. Went to Cuba, and while I was in Cuba, a waiter came up to me with that puzzled look. And then he started speaking to me in Spanish. And I was like, oh, sorry, I don't speak Spanish. And he was like, oh, sorry, you're not Cuban? And I was like, no, I'm not Cuban. He was like, oh, okay. And I was like, why? And he was like, well, because this resort that you're in, Cubans are not allowed to be here with guests, or as in like part of the guests. So that would be, and, but at that point, yes, yeah, so at that point, and after that, he, when he found out I was British, he was like, free drinks throughout the entire night. But that got me thinking, you know, ooh, okay. There's that level of sort of, uh, you know, um, um, it was, it's not, it's not racism, but it is wealth inequality, right? In that country that causes that. Fast forward a few years, I was on a flight coming back from Dubai and 
while the one of the air stewards walked up to me and he started speaking to me in Arabic. And I was like, I'm sorry, I don't speak Arabic. And he's like, oh, okay, because you kind of look like you're Arabic. What that enforced in my head is whenever I meet somebody who might be racist, what happens is, and this is again, this is just my theory. So please do not take it, you take it with a pinch of salt. Um, my theory is people who may have racist opinions, it's an instinctive um, it's it's something that's instinctive within them. So they've been raised to feel that way because nobody's born racist. You're raised in an environment that will make you become racist. So that has been in has been it's it's like the lizard brain, if you will. Imagine your id or the lizard brain inside you thinking that this person of this color is bad. Now, as soon as they see somebody who is let's let's take the the you know, just use the black and white option for example let's say a, a racist and then apologies to all race or white apologies to all racists apologies to all white people who i'm not saying that white all white people are racist i'm just using you as an example so bear with me a second so imagine the white person is the racist and that person has that lizard brain that is the racist part of their brain now the moment they see somebody with very dark complexion that lizard part of their brain pops up and says ah, substandard black color substandard now, with somebody with my skin complexion, that lizard brain pops up and says, hold on, is this person black or, or, or not? That moment of hesitation causes that lizard brain to go, ah, forget about it, and goes back down, which means that the rational part of that person's brain steps up and they ask the question and they engage them in a conversation. And the thing about me, as you've noticed, I talk a lot. I like to make people feel comfortable when they're having a conversation with me. When I'm having that conversation with somebody, I put them at ease and whatever type of, and this is just from my own experience, whatever type of negative reaction they may have had towards me recedes. And it always, and, and I have gotten the backhanded compliment of, wow, you speak really well. And I'm like, that's okay. That's not as complimentary as you think it is. And we go from that. So that's been my experience when it comes to that level of racism. And it's probably what gives me the um, privilege, not privilege, it's what makes me feel, you know, oh, it's okay to have the conversation. So I'm pretty, that, that is just to go down to explain that not many people will want to sit down and have that conversation. Not many people would have had that privilege that I've been afforded with the color of my skin to be able to at least entertain that conversation or at least to be able to have that conversation. There are people that I know who, because of the color of their skin, that converse, that chance, that lizard brain pops up and boy, it goes south quick. And so people like that are not able to, you know, be objective and say, look, let's sit down and have this conversation. It comes back to that, what, that point I made about, you know, understanding where the terrorists are coming from. You know, you can't sit down and have that conversation if your family has been hurt, killed, by a terrorist attack, you'd be like, I don't care what you say. I don't care if he looks like me. That person is a terrorist. That person is evil. And as such, I do not want to have a conversation with that person. I get that. That's the problem. The problem is because that conversation is not being had, because that understanding is not being had, it's we're not going to progress. We will keep butting heads. Look at what happened in America recently, right? With the whole with Trump and the Democrats, it literally came to a point where it became split. Now I know, and I know this for a fact, that there were level-headed people 
in that fight, people who are like, look, let's have a civil conversation. There's a, as a news channel I watched on YouTube called the, um, rising on the hill. You have, um, uh, uh, what's her name? Crystal ball. Who's a Democrat, liberal Democrat, but she's a Democrat. Really? She hates being called a liberal Democrat. And then you've got, um, uh, saga. I keep forgetting his name, but his name's saga. He's a Republican full on, you know, Fox news Republican, but both of them have the, you know, that conversation together and they, basically hash out different topics and they pull in different views. That's a situation where you have two people having a conversation. However, that gets drowned out by the loudest people yelling. It gets drowned out by the people wearing the MAGA hat saying, no, Trump needs to be in, in, in power. You know, stop counting the votes where he he's, he's, he's losing. Carry on counting the votes. No, the other way around. Stop counting the votes where he's winning and stop counting the votes where he's losing and so on and so forth. You get that side. And then you get on the other side, people saying, no, absolutely. He needs to be, hey, Joe Biden is one who's going to be, uh, you know, who's going to bring us back to civility. When, if you actually think about it, are you really going to explore, if you really sit down and explore their principles and their policies, is that really what you think is going to, and you see what I mean, right? So what I found is a lot of people are very loud and say nothing. I, I know I talk a lot and say a little bit. So that's, you know, that's basically where I come from in that regards. Uh, and yeah, just, just to, I'm not concise, but I just want to bring it back to that one point. So I just want to bring it back to the point where um, essentially just having a conversation and being able to understand where the other person is coming from, that will be able to alleviate a lot of the problems that we're having. Unfortunately, it can't really happen all the time, but free speech is the one thing that I am proud of in myself that... I will always stand for. I will always, I will stand for your right to say that you are superior to me. But the next thing I would say is prove it. Let's have a conversation. Prove that you are superior to me by having a conversation with me about any topic that you want to have. We'll have that conversation. Let's find out if at the end of that conversation, you still feel that you're superior to me. If you do, that's fine. Walk away and say it. The moment you stop my bills from being paid because you think you're superior to me, that's where you're crossing the line. You can say whatever you want to say, just as long as it doesn't impact me in that regards, that's fine. That's what I'm proud of. Okay, I like that. See, with me, it's a little bit different uh, because everyone just sees my dark skin. And as a woman, you, uh, when I go to different countries, because obviously for photography, I travel quite a bit also. For me, it's a little bit different. I know you were saying they they start speaking to you in another language, but for me, they just see a dark-skinned black girl. Exactly. Where, here's the thing now, I'm actually half Indian. Okay. My mother is Indian, my father is black. Two combinations of two different people who, as they say, were not, and I quote this as people can't see us, were not meant to be together. Sure. Right. So for me, when I because I have big curly hair, I always get black women saying, "Is that, for instance, your hair?" Yes, yes. it is. And I've had to. I've had. Li I've had arguments, not loud ones, just, just ones where I walk off, because that's my nature. If I feel like I'm not going to get through to a person, the best to the diffuse it exactly yes, to diffuse it, I will walk off because that's the best form of diffusing somebody that I could do. I get asked, "Is that your hair?" I say yes. They say no, it's not. I say it is. No, it's not. Hold on a second. 
I do mm-hmm. it. I'm the one that's doing it every morning. It's mine. So it's not. I don't know whether it's a stigma where people think that black women, especially, are only meant to have a certain type of hair. Because hair is such a big thing for black women. I don't know why. It's such a big thing for black women. Um, mm. Whereas on the Indian side, here's a story for you. So I went to St. Lucia, where okay. my family is from. And um, the Indian side, my mum's side, the Indian side, didn't really accept me the way my grandmother's side, the black side, accept me. Mm-hmm. I find them very accepting. They didn't care where you're coming from. They didn't care if you're black, white, green. They've, they're very compassionate. They're very kind, and they accept you for who you are. So um, that's my family. Everybody has a different story to tell. But on the Indian side, one day I asked my auntie for a glass of water. Um, my father was with me. My mother was with me. She said, "Sure, you can go in the kitchen and and get it yourself." And I said, oh, thank you so much. Are you sure? Because I don't know where everything is and I don't want to intrude. Um, she says, yeah, are you sure you can? Because I am black and I'm not lying to you. Because I am black, she followed me into the kitchen and watched and yep. watched mm-hmm. what I was doing. Yeah. My brother is your complexion or even lighter. He done the same thing. Did she watch him? No. Yeah. So I see. So I understand your concept of where you're coming from, and I under I understand the concept of where I am coming from. But that ignorance will always be there, like you say, unless we have the conversation. And now that was the question I was going to ask. Uh, now, w- with your experience, as you've just described, you have experienced that level of both racial and sexist judgment from somebody. Mm. Are you willing to sit down with that person and have that conversation? Of course, anytime. Okay, there you go. That, and that's that's it. That, and that's the thing. But while, and while I understand that there are people who have been hurt, there are people who have been killed, who have come close to being killed in that situation, and because of that, they won't have that conversation because there's a book that was out, uh, um, out I can't remember the name of the person who wrote it, but it's um, Why I'm Not Talking to White People About Race, something along those lines. I think that's the I name think of I've the heard book. of it. Yeah, and I and I understand that logic. I understand that mentality where it's like you have to keep explaining and you have to keep uh, explaining to somebody. You know, you have to keep dealing with the question: Why are people getting so offended by you know the me touching their hair? Why is somebody? Why are people? Why can't we do blackface? And you have to keep explaining why you can't do that. And there are people who are just like, look, I'm sick and tired of having to explain. If you and there's now the uh, the line of thinking where it's, you know, I'm just going to tell people go and do the research. Just go and do the research. That's all well and good in your opinion. I understand where you're coming from. You're sick and tired of people asking you that, and you've decided you don't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. I get that. However. When you say to somebody, go and do the research, it may be the fact that they're lazy, right? And so let's 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 go negative. They're lazy, and so they will say, I'm not going to do the research, and they walk away. However, what if that person genuinely yeah. wanted to know about this? And they were coming to the one person that they trusted to be able to give them that information, which was you, 
but you didn't want to give them that information because you've already given that information too many times. That one person now goes away and doesn't learn. It's that same adage. You know, I'm I'm stealing that average from that um, that uh, not average that uh, uh, ad that proverb or that saying, which is about justice, where you'd rather see um, ten, you'd rather free ten guilty men than see one innocent man go to jail. Something along those lines, right? It's the same kind of thing. I would rather. Yeah, okay, I've butchered it completely. But what I'm saying is I would rather spend that time talking to 10 people who will not care about me, explaining uh, who will not listen to me if one of those people, after I've spoken to them, goes away and says, I'm going to be different. I would prefer to be that person, you know, be, be have one out of 10 than say, you know what, one out of 10 is too low a number. I'm just going to give up. And now it becomes... 10 out of 10. 10 out of 10 people would just go away not learning anything. But then, That's my philosophy. But then if they if they have that mentality, that one person can go and spread it to 10 people, change 10 exactly. people's lives, and then another 10 people will spread it to another 10 people. And that multiplies with, within, with, pff, easily. Absolutely. I, I'm just looking at the time. So am I. And I've, only I, got, I've only got one, well, Two more for you. There we go. I, I, you know what? We'll, we're going to make the, if, if, if it's okay with you, I'll be happy to make this a regular occurrence. I'm happy to come back on your show and chat nonstop. How, or I can have you on my show and we can carry on the conversation on different to topics. Yeah, that sounds Fantastic. good to me. <laughs> Here, here's my second to last one for you is, what would you like your legacy to be when you leave this world? Um... Funnily enough, I, I was thinking about that question recently. Um, I can't remember why. I, I think it was from a podcast I was listening and people were talking about their legacies. And someone was saying, I want, when I die, I want people to remember me for all of this stuff. And if I'm being completely honest, that doesn't bother me because at the end of the day, if I, when, I'm when I'm dead, not if I'm dead, although I have this thought in my head that if the cybernetics program were to come in and I'm to become part cyborg, I'll happily take it so I can live for a thousand years. But that's a different subject altogether. Um, my point is when I'm dead, I, I, I don't care what's going to be, what is known about me. What I want my legacy to be is my kids to be great. I want them to just go out into the world and rock really hard. And I don't mean rock in the music. I mean, whatever they become, they are the best at it. That's what I want. I don't care about myself in that regard. I don't care about what the world thinks about me after I'm dead. I want to go out and do films. I want to go and write books. I want to do all of that stuff. But if I'm being completely honest, I'm doing that to be completely selfish. I'm doing it because I like I like the I like the process of acting. I like making films. I I, I barely watch the films and the I, I barely listen to my own shows. I I do it in the moment. I do it. It's out there. The world can see it. The world can enjoy it. I'm happy with that. I'm happy to produce content for the world to see, to laugh, and to discard, and either learn from it or not do anything. I don't care about being the greatest filmmaker ever. I don't care about that. That's to me it's fading. It, it passes. You know, Orson Welles was known as being one of the you know, the 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 best filmmakers ever. Who's saying that now? People are saying it's Martin Scorsese. People are saying it's Spike Lee. People are saying it's um 
uh, Ava DuVernay. And yes, these are all great filmmakers in their own right. But, you know, in 10 years, 20 years, 50 years from now, when they've passed, do they care? No, they're dead. So I don't, so yeah. So for me, what I care about legacy is that my kids and their kids and their kids just live the best lives they can, which tying into um, human rights and societal issues at the moment kind of does involve them being safe. So at the end of the day, my legacy, I want to do as much as I can to keep them in the position where they can live their best lives safely as best as they can. I like that. And my final one for you, Marcus, is where can we find you on all your social media? So if anybody would like to get in contact with you just like I did, how can they get in contact with you? Okay, it's very, very easy. And I memorized all of them anyway. Um, so the best ways to get to me depends on what you want to get, you know, come at me. Come at me. The best, the, it, it depends on what you want to come to me for. Sure. If you want to come to me about the YouTube channel to talk about books, I'm happy to, if you're an expert, if you're in, if you're a published author, if you're writing you, yourself as well, Savia, I, I would love to interview you on the uh, YouTube channel about the books that you haven't published. I'd love to talk to you about that yeah. as well. And, and if anybody else is a publisher or a literary agent or a writer wants to write, they've written, they've published, either self-publishing or traditional publishing, all of that stuff. If you want to reach out to me, uh, email me at theidiotonthewritersblock at gmail.com. That's theidiotonthewritersblock at gmail.com. On social media, all that novel aspect, the idiot and writer's block is I-O-N writer's block, which is Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Parler, if you're on Parler as well. It's I-O-N writer's block. Message me for that. If it's about films, it's the Shoot the Breeze website. It's Shoot the Breeze. Okay, I'll give you the I'll give you the social media one because we my marketing angle, I learned as we went along. Um, so three years ago, we were not social media savvy. So we have different social media handles for, for the, oh, for the Shoot the Breeze. So for the for Facebook, it's Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. On Twitter, it's at ST. So STB underscore Resonance FM on Instagram. It's shoot the breeze show. So it's probably better to go with Instagram. Just go at shoot the breeze show. Message me about films. Uh, any questions you have about that, just send me on that. If you just want to chat and say hi and whatnot, my Twitter handle is Marcus underscore Akko. Uh, I don't have my own personal Instagram. It's basically just those ones. The um, company chat, the company Instagram is eight foot underscore ants on both Twitter and Instagram. But yeah, those are, those are my social media handles and just go on YouTube. And to be honest, if you want to chat me, chat to me directly, I chat, I respond to everybody who comments on my YouTube page, uh, which is the idiot on the writer's block. Go watch any of the videos, like them, put comments on them and I'll respond to you. No problem. So yeah, that's how you can reach me. Cool. Marcus, I want to thank you so much for coming on the Yes People podcast today. No, Savia, I want to thank you very much for, for <laughs> inviting me onto your channel. I hope it's been as as good as you wanted it to be, but I've had such a really nice time and your knowledge has been, I'm sure, not just to myself, but to other people who are listening will be... Savia, I'm telling you, honestly, I, I would have carried on speaking for hours had it not <laughs> well, been... Well, they don't know what the time is. They don't know. Guys, it's almost 10.30 at night. 
Exactly. So, and yeah, and I, I, I've got to go find out whether or not I've lost a chapter, <laughs> which is close to a thousand words. So, yeah, I'm uh, fingers crossed. I haven't fingers oh, crossed. Your, your, word has saved that. Yeah, I think so it will be. I think it will be. Let's make sure. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for listening to the Ask People podcast. And please remember, you can subscribe to Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, and any other platform that you prefer listening to. Please also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can also donate to the Ask People podcast by simply going on the Savvy Rocks website or just typing in paypal.me forward slash us people podcast thank you so much for listening stay happy stay positive and as always please continue to be kind to one another Yeah, fantastic. Um, did you want me to do that thing that you put on the bottom of your, you saying, hi, I'm Marcus and whatnot? Yeah. All right. Excellent. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much uh, for this. And I will message you and we'll sort out where you can come on my show and we can, we can, we can talk. Perfect.